Good morning, good morning. As we're standing together as a congregation, there is nothing more important than we can do today than proclaim the fact that he is risen. And so together as a congregation, we will proclaim that. So I will say he is risen and you will respond with the old statement that you can only do is that he is risen indeed. Now, but I warn you, you have to do that emphatically or I'm going to make you stand here and do it all day long until we do it emphatically. So let's maybe get it right on the first try or the second try because there's nothing more beautiful than a risen Savior. So here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. You may be seated. You know, he is risen today. And just like Zach said, we stand with a billion or so other people to proclaim emphatically that he has risen. But why is the question we have to ask. Why is he risen? What does it matter? You know, when we talk about being risen, you know, if you're a child of the 90s like yeah, I am, you quickly think of the life alert button, I have fallen and I can't get up, Right? And when the gravity of life pulls you down is when you need to be risen. Well, he is risen. And so we're supposed to celebrate this guy, Jesus, and that he's risen from the dead. And he's not only 100% God, but he's also 100% man. He's the Savior. He's the promised one. He's the prophesied one. And here he is to do what he's supposed to do. And today we're continuing in our Cultivate series where we want to cultivate our hearts together as a congregation for rooted belief followed by rooted obedience. Because when we we dig into who Jesus is, then we see obedience stem out and come from the surface. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why is he risen? Well, One way to look at it is to kind of paint the picture of a very popular movie from back in 1998. Yes, I said 1998. Some of you and some of those in our congregation were not even born in 1998, which is sad. However, there was this great movie in 1998 that came out, and I think it was Jim Carrey's best work. It was called The Truman Show. So in The Truman Show, there was this guy, the lead character, Truman Burbank. And he was played by Jim Carrey. Now, he lives this peaceful and just beautiful life in Sea Haven Island. Now, Truman also just happens, unbeknownst to him, to be, the, be part of the Truman Show, the lead character in the most popular TV show in television history at that time. The only problem is he has no clue he's starring in this TV show. The entire island of Sea Haven is a complete fabrication. It's a massive set surrounded by a protective dome that produces the most sophisticated effects and imagery the world has ever seen. It mimics weather and and patterns and just feel of what real life is like. And then within this dome is this massive staff that stands just behind the scene to make everything happen. Everyone in it, everyone in it other than Truman is an actor. 
He wakes up, he goes to work, he works hard, comes home to his wife, hangs out with his best friend, and does every other normal life practice. But for what? What's true men working and loving and living and breathing for? It just all seems so futile. The movie reaches this climax and this tension begins to build when the creator of this dome goes on the national TV and accepts a call from a former actor that was on the show. And the caller, who he recognizes, berates the creator for the charade of imprisoning Truman within this mockery of life. And Christoph, who is the creator, counters by saying that, that and listen to this very carefully, that the world is a prison and that what he has done is actually give Truman a chance to lead a completely normal life, free of violence, free of pain and suffering. And he says that should Truman discover the truth, he can find his way out. Now, Truman, in this contrived world, he could have become the CEO of an insurance firm. He could have been the mayor of, of Seaward Island. He could have been the most popular influencer and had all the followers. He could have been an A-plus husband. He could have been the best, best friend ever. But what would it have been for? What would it, what would it have amounted to? He was trapped. It was, it was all such a futile endeavor. Today, we jump into Mark 10. And we find ourselves in a place in Mark 10 where the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So here the disciples are around this Jesus that we've been talking about, the one who is fully God and fully human, the one who is the Savior. And here these guys are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Now let's frame that real quick. That's like when Big Pen hits Antonio Holmes in the back of the end zone in the Super Bowl, and you and your buddies are elbowing each other to figure out, hey, where am I going to put my Lombardi trophy? You ain't winning the Lombardi trophy. You ain't do nothing. Big Ben did it. Santonio Holmes did it. What are you, what are you, they don't even know him. Why are you looking for greatness? You hadn't done anything. And so here the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And it's really easy for us to wag our fingers and thumb our nose at these guys, the disciples. You know, but aren't we also in this futile dash for power and greatness and aren't we in this futile dash within our world and within our cultural context for, for wealth accumulation and security and safety and, and identity validation and intimacy, even maybe religious feel-goodness? And does even our Constitution say, there's a line in our Constitution that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. Man, it sounds good, doesn't it? But we get on this hamster wheel in life, and we, but we have to stop and ask ourselves a few questions. Why aren't our power moves for greatness really empowering us? Why isn't our money really enriching us? Why isn't our cravings for relationship creating intimacy? Why aren't our spiritual endeavors actually making us good enough? And why isn't our life giving us more life? And why isn't our liberty making us more free? And why isn't our pursuit, the pursuit of happiness, making us happier? We are all enslaved. We have all handed over our freedom. And sadly, just like Truman, we might not even know it. We're in this world striving for these things that aren't doing what we were hoping they were going to do. And we might not even know it. So the objective today, what we're focusing on today, is is that every follower of Jesus can celebrate. Why can we celebrate so confidently? Because we are free. So let's together read the scripture. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you're willing and able, if you would stand with me as we open the word of God and we read from Mark 10, Verse 45, we're focusing on one verse today. I ask you to stand because here at Steel City Church, we stand on the Word of God. This is not what Chris says. It's not what Zach says. We want to do what the Word of God says. We put full weight in what is in this book. And so with that being said, for this is the Word of the Lord. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even... The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So, We find ourselves here. Jesus has just shut down his disciples, the buddies that are elbowing each other about where their trophy case for the Lombardi trophy is going to sit. Jesus has just shot them down and said, boys, that's not what it's for. Look to me. Here I am. And he makes this kind of crazy statement that if we're not careful, if you miss it, then we miss a lot. For he says, for even the son of man, even the son of man. So this was one of Jesus's favorite titles of himself. He also used son of David. He also used son of God. Mark used that in Mark 1.1 to fully proclaim that that Jesus is full deity. He's 100% man and 100% God. Jesus liked for himself to state that he is the son of man. What he's doing there is he's actually voluntarily veiling his glory. He is withholding the immense glory that he easily could have come out. At the snaps of his fingers, he could have called legions of angels. When he says, I am the son of man, he is veiling his glory 
yet he never, never, ever denies his deity. Never denies his deity. So he's saying, even the Son of Man has come. Jesus here is assuming this counterintuitive figure. Someone with power lets you know a lot of times that they're in power. They will freely do it. Now, we do have a television show that comes on very often where this kind of is demonstrated, and it's Undercover Boss. This Fortune 500 CEO takes off his $30,000 Armani tailored suit and puts on actual work clothes to actually go and do real work and get his hands actually dirty. And we always know what happens there is someone's crying, someone's getting a raise, and someone's getting fired, right? Right? Isn't that how it goes? Well, this Jesus saying, I am the son of man, it's a little more than that. All right, Jesus is, is veiling his glory to show that he is willing to suffer and serve and understand our struggles. He's not this far off, separated God, but he was willing to come to us to bridge the gap that we couldn't bridge. But he continues, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, we have to understand that this is a reversal of everything that we understand as humans. Jesus is flipping completely what we get in our our nature, in our desire for wealth and power and intimacy and, and whatever else it is that within your heart you long for. And he is flipping it over and saying, it is completely a paradox in what I'm doing here. Jesus himself is royalty. But yet he came not just to be a servant, but to be the lowest possible of servants, which is a slave. I came not to be served. Even though I am, I am, I am God, I came to serve. You know, Jesus could have easily said any other, he could have said anything else. I I did not come to be rich but I came to be poor. I did not come to be popular, but I came to be obscure. I did not come to be free, but I came to be bound. I did not come to experience the ease of life, but pain and suffering. I did not come to check religious boxes to look good enough. I came to pay the ultimate price. He flips everything. Son of man, son of God, flips everything on its head. And then he makes this statement that to us is so easy for us to miss in our cultural understanding of of things. He says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. For us, when we hear the term ransom, we think kidnapping. We think, man, if somebody gets kidnapped, you got to pay the money to get them out. We know that the United States typically does not pay ransoms with the way that they do things. So if we hear it, it's typically somebody abducted somebody else and we got to pay money to get them out. Well, that's our cultural understanding. A first century Middle Eastern person, when they heard a ransom for many, 
they would have had a completely different understanding. Because when they heard ransom, it pointed directly, directly to buying a slave out of where they currently are. Now, another thing, so we have to understand kind of what that slavery looked like in the, in the Greco-Roman Judeo culture. And one thing that we have to be very clear on is slavery in this time is not what we understand of slavery in America. Now, just to be clear, slavery in America is one of the most evil examples of what people can do. And just to make it very clear that any time we purposefully remove someone's image that is embedded in them, which is the image of God, and we try to, to fully deny that and separate that from us, the only next logical progression is evil. And that's what happened in American slavery. Now, the slavery of this particular time was slightly different. So there are three different ways that most likely people entered into some form of bondage or bond servitude is sometimes what they would call it. There would be prisoner of wars. There would be someone who incurred a debt and couldn't pay it back. And so they would sell themselves into slavery to pay back. They couldn't pay it back through money. So they would pay it back through labor. Or there were some people that actually would enter into slavery for a better life. It may be someone who was, was born in a different place, wanted to be a Roman citizen, so they would sell themselves into slavery to actually become a Roman citizen. Maybe they had a skill or talent, and in their area, wherever they lived, it just wasn't useful. So they would actually sell themselves into slavery to a dignitary to maybe become a teacher for that dignitary's kids. And so they would start teaching the children when they were young. And as the children progressed and they showed their worth as a teacher, they might actually be removed within that family from a slave-type position, a servant-type position, into an elevated position within that family and that structure because they were so good at what they did. And so sometimes it was a leveraging or a bargaining chip um, here Here, when Jesus is talking about the ransom that's being paid for a slave, he is most likely talking about someone who has incurred some type of debt that they could not pay back. And they were going to be in slavery until the time that the master was willing to say, yes, you've served enough. And we can't lose the imagery there of us on this hamster wheel of life looking for power and wealth and accumulation and identity and intimacy and whatever else it may be. But Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. So if you were a slave, you were basically an object. You were deprived of personal monetary worth. You were property. You were sometimes even considered an inanimate tool. And there are even some writings that just talked about how stupid slaves were. And the master had absolute control. You gave up every legal right to whoever it was. You gave up every legal right. But there was a way out. 
typically there was a way out that you couldn't pay. Someone had to do it on your behalf, and that was called the ransom. The ransom had to be paid. There had to be some form of transaction. In Jewish law, once the transaction was paid, whatever the price was, there was this this ceremony, this manumission is what they call it, ceremony, where it was down in the square and people would see, oh man, a slave is being bought out of slavery. And that when when the transaction happened, the money was turned over, that slave was given to that new person, that new master. It could have been a family member. It could have not been. But most likely that master was buying that slave out of slavery, not to use them even further as a slave, but to adopt them into their family. Their identity now, their legal standing was now shielded by whoever this new person was that purchased them. The old life was gone. In Jewish law, once a slave was purchased out of slavery, it was finished. The new life had come. The new master would not purchase them just to continuously enslave them. But it was to give them new life. They were adopted into the family. So what does that matter for us? So what? A couple weeks ago, we talked in Mark 1. We've been unpacking ways that Jesus said, I have come. And in Mark 1, Jesus said, I came to preach. And when Jesus said he came to preach, he meant that he came for people to repent and believe. Repentance is turning away from the direction that you're going and turning towards God. And then belief, you believe in who God is. I will say it, blind faith is stupid. I do not have blind faith in my Savior. So what we do as followers of Jesus Christ is not blind faith. There is reasons to believe who Jesus is. If you need some, come see me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about it. He's given us plenty of reasons to believe. So Jesus came to preach. Well, then we saw in Mark 2, Jesus came not for those who look or say they are righteous by their works, but he came for sinners. Jesus was saying tongue in cheek, I came for all you people because y'all are all failures basically because you can't live up to who I am. And so Jesus said, hey, I'm here I came to forgive your sins. And we said that forgiveness was concealing all these things that we have done that don't reflect who God is in our thoughts, our actions, and our beings. He has come to conceal all those. He seals it up and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. And we said, if you start walking north, sooner or later, you'll start going south. If you start walking east, you will never walk west. He conceals your sins and throws them as far as the east is from the west. So he came to forgive. This is great. Jesus is preaching and he's forgiven. But what about the rest of my life, Jesus? I got a lot more life to live. And he's like, you know what? I got you covered. Because I also came to, with my life, pay a ransom 
for new life. I'm going to pull you out of this futile way of life, this Truman Show bubble where you're just on this hamster wheel looking for power and identity and intimacy and everything else, and I am going to pull you out. I am not just going to give you a good game or an attaboy. I'm not just going to let you figure it out from here. That's not what I'm here for. This is not this contrived life of futile living on hopes and prayers and wishes and power plays and wealth accumulation for safety and security and religious box checking and trying to be good enough. But this is freedom, like free, free freedom. Like we free. And he says to us on this Easter Resurrection Sunday, Jesus gave his life. He broke his body. He poured out his blood and then rose again on the third day to pay the ransom. That was the transactional price for us. And he did it for many to give us new life. And so now Jesus screams to us, screams to us, stop wrangling for the things I've already paid for. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, all who are weary, all who are tired of running on this wheel. Come to me, I will give you rest. All who keep continuing in this futile way of life, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I will give you purpose, I will give you life, rest, in me, there is no more work to be done. On January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And it said within it, it said, all people held as slaves are and henceforth shall be free. However, the word didn't spread. And we know reasons why it didn't spread throughout our country. But on June 19, 1865, Union soldiers landed in Galveston, Texas and, and found thousands of men and women still enslaved. The soldiers, for the very first time, proclaimed to the slaves that were still working that the war was over and that they were now free. That was two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed. And that's why now in June, we celebrate Juneteenth, the day the slaves, all slaves, received their freedom. Now, the beautiful thing is every time we come together as a congregation, as a body of Christ, especially here on Easter, I get to announce the basis, on the basis of the ransom that was paid, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the war is over and that you are now Free. There is no more work to be done. God doesn't ever want you enslaved again. 
not to money, not to religion, not to power, not to selfish desires, not to anything else. Christ abolished death. We get to stand here as followers of Jesus Christ and proclaim what Dr. King proclaimed, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Can I get amen? We, based on this, get to break out of this Truman show, futile way of life. It drives us back to our objective. Every follower of Jesus can celebrate. It is a party today. We don't come in here putting on happy faces just because. We come here because we can celebrate because we're free. So how do we celebrate? What does that look like for a follower of Jesus Christ to celebrate? So we've got our free analogy on the board. Let's stick with that. So how do we celebrate? You can't take my freedom, as Mel Gibson screamed. So Let's start with the F. Well, you got to start with what we're trying to do in our Cultivate series is fortify your belief. You dive into who Jesus is. We can get to know the person that paid the price. He's not this far off, untouchable God that we can just hope we can attain to. We understand that we can't. We know that we're broken, but yet he still wants to be in relationship with us. So we can fortify our belief in who Jesus is. Now, that begs us to ask the question, though, and realize that in our objective statement, there is a disclaimer. Every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, this is the most inclusive invitation ever. Everyone is welcome into the body of Christ. But when time, when the time comes... The ransom was paid by Jesus. And remember, we lose our legal identity and we look like the one that paid for us. And so when we get to heaven, it's not going to be, hey, but, but me or my or I. It's going to be, hey, the, the guy over there with the beard and whatever Jesus looks like, he's the one that paid my price. He's the one that did it for me. Repentance and belief. Have you repented of your futile way of life? If you have, great. Then how do we fortify our belief? We daily appropriate the gospel. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to daily remind myself, it is you, Lord, that did this for me. It is not me. I did not earn this. You are the one that did this. So we fortify, the, we fortify belief. Then we move into realizing who our identity is. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.20 is a great verse and actually plays off on some of what we're talking today with the ransom. And actually, 1 Corinthians 6.20 is talking about sexual immorality. And it's saying, hey, get out of this futile way of life of utilizing your body in all the wrong ways. And he says in, ver, in, in 620, Paul says it, for you were bought with a price. 
Stop thinking you can earn your way out of this with gold and silver and other things. For you were bought with a price, the life of Jesus. Remember, now we look like Jesus. When people see us, our legal standing is Jesus. Well, I'm with him. Talk to him. He's my guy. He did it all. Not me, him. So we have to realize what our identity is. So I even within myself as your pastor, when I struggle with these same things and that desire for attention or that desire for identity or the desire for intimacy, I have just recently taught myself to say, Jesus paid for that too. When I'm trying to look like something else, nope, Jesus paid for that. I don't have to earn my way anymore. It's not needed. Jesus paid for, oh, nope, Chris. I know that like little bit of money that you need to be generous with and you want, no, oh, Jesus paid for that too. Jesus paid for that. Jesus paid for that. So we fortify our belief. We realize our identity. We embrace boundaries. That verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says it the best. He says, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, check all these boxes. It doesn't say that. All right, throwing out there, it doesn't say that. You know, we like to think of Jesus as this like cosmic killjoy, Right? Like, if, if I follow Jesus, like, I ain't going to have any more fun. Like, come on. I got to check all these boxes. I'm going to have to follow all these rules. I'm going to have to do all these boring things. Listen, when we embrace the boundaries of who Jesus is, think about it. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the God who spoke the universe into being, if he is the God who is all-powerful, if he is the God who is all-knowing, if he is the God that is outside of our understanding of time, and he's immaterial and he's full of mercy and grace and peace and all these other things that we so long for, when he simply says, for you were bought with the price, therefore glorify God. Our boundaries extend to God's glory. And it's everlasting. And it's beyond what we can comprehend Embrace the boundaries. Don't run from the boundaries. God's glory is the boundaries, which then pushes us to our final E, which is an eternal focus. Remember, if, if God is who he says he is, and he is, he's big and mighty, and he wants to be in relationship with us, just like he says he wants to, then when we are dealing with things in front of us and we are striving for this, this very, very temporal desire that we may have, we can have an eternal focus because who we look like is Jesus. And we can let go of temporal things to gain things that are glorious. I think Jim Elliott says it the best, Jimmy was a missionary who was killed on the mission field by the very tribe that he was trying to reach for the gospel. And in one of his journals, he said this quote, and it's incredibly powerful. 
And it says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jewish law said when the ransom was paid, it is finished. The old has gone. The new has come. You know, the end of the Truman Show, Truman finally sees that the life that he is in is futile. He figures it out and he figures out what I'm praying that we are all figuring out, that we aren't made to live like this. We aren't made to live in this futile chase of temporary things for we are all as humans made in the image of God. And Truman figures this out. And so what does he do? But he resolutely and against all odds and fears, he was scared to death of water. He begins to sail. And Kristoff, who's the creator, finally finds him sailing to freedom. And he utilizes everything possible within this dome to keep him from doing it. And he cranks up the weather system and he creates this horrendous storm. And Truman yells and screams at the skies, no, I'm getting out of this, I'm going. And finally, Kristoff realizes, I can't stop him. And so he turns it off and Truman starts to sail victoriously towards the sunset. And he sails and he sails and then wham! He runs into the wall, the end of the dome. That's it. The futile way of life had ends. It wasn't boundless. And so he reaches the end of the dome, as we see in this picture right here, and he climbs off the boat, and he's, he's walking along the edge of the dome, and he finds these steps, and there's a door at the top of the steps, and he walks up there, and Kristoff gets on the microphone, and he says, Truman, this is Kristoff. What you doing? Truman's like, I'm out. He's like, nah, Truman. Don't do that. You could live here happily and without pain and suffering. Kristoff tries to plant these ideas in him. But you know, you, you can't go outside of this futile way of life, man. It looks, it looks so good. Like, look how perfect this is. Truman's faced with a decision. Just like many of us are faced with today. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, for all of us. So we move into a time of just an individual reflection, a time for you to look into yourself, to ask yourself, can I celebrate? Do I understand that I am free? Somewhere along your pew, there's a connect card that looks something like this. You don't have to fill it out However, there is a very powerful thing, and this is coming from a former teacher, when you take something from your mind and you put it on, and you put it on paper. So I challenge you to reflect right now. I challenge you to kind of ask yourself some questions like, what do you need to be freed from? 
Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are in a futile desire for whatever it may be. What is it? You may not be a follower of Jesus Christ. You might have never repented and believed, but man, those glorious boundaries of God's glory sound really good and way better than what I'm in right now. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you just need prayer for something. As your pastor, and as Zach is your pastor, I speak for both of us, it is a blessing for us to bear your burdens in prayer. We look forward to the days that we get chances to pray and minister to through prayer to each of you. So if there's something that you need prayer for, write it on here. If you want to fill it out and share your information with us, if you're interested in the Connect group or other aspects of our church, let us know. We'd love to connect with you. I'll take you out for free coffee. Several people have taken me up on that or free lunch, whatever. I don't even care. Just love to talk to people. So we're going to take about 60 to 90 seconds of some of the most awkward silence we can possibly find. Because as Americans, we don't sit in silence. And silence is so important. So in this time, the, the free acronym is on the board. Take some time to reflect and we'll come back together and we will jump into some, a communion corporate reflection in a minute. So now we move into a time of corporate reflection. And to do that, we get a chance to focus on the death burial of Jesus Christ, the the crucifixion that kind of prompted this all, where the price had to be paid, where his body was broken and his blood was poured out. And so together as a church, this is a beautiful thing that we get to do is reflect on this together corporately. And then the next reflection that we get to do in just a little bit is baptism, where we get to celebrate together as a body. We get to party together that new life has come. So Jesus, who knew no imperfection, he himself was God incarnate, All power and all authority had been given to him under heaven. And what did he do? But willingly, willingly he came to serve. He subjected himself to ridicule and obscurity and servitude and pain and suffering, even to the point of death, death on a criminal's torture tool, which we call the cross. Jesus, though, however, unlike any other person in all of humanity, he did, after he succumbed to death, and everyone knowing that the final nail was in the coffin and it was done, there's no way he's coming back from this, Jesus rose from the dead. And so here, it's very important that we remember together as we share the Lord's Supper, this celebration of freedom This is our remembrance that the gift of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb won us our freedom. The ransom has been paid. Christ has abolished death. 
It is finished. So while the disciples were in the upper room and while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it and giving it to them, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it, eat it, and do this in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Drink it, and do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we come before you as a congregation, as the body of Christ, And we lift you up, for it is by your your blood and your body that you bought for us our freedom. And Lord, praise God Almighty, we are free. We are free at last. So Lord, let us rest in you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come together and just rest in that. That is through your death, your burial, your resurrection, that brings us life. You're an amazing God. As we worship, let our worship be sweet to you. As we move into a time of celebration through baptism, let us realize it is through death, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in the newness of life. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.